Good morning. I've seen it. Have you seen it? Have you seen the miracle? The miracle that's starting to happen every day, early in the morning. After months and months of driving to work in the darkness, I've seen a glimmer. Just a glimmer. Just a slight difference on the edge of the eastern horizon. A place in the sky that's just a little less dark than the rest of the sky. And every day, this glimmer is getting stronger. And as it does, I'm feeling the winter of my discontent slowly abating. And the promise of spring becomes more and more tangible. At first, it was not really enough light, enough illumination to call light, but it was the dawn. And it really does help that it's 40 degrees warmer this week than it was. (laughs) But don't be fooled. We still have to get through February. (laughs) For me, this was the picture that came to mind when I was praying through our scriptures this week. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And it seems that Jesus' ministry began this way as well, a glimmer, an almost imperceptible gleam that most of the world did not see, except for the people of Capernaum who lived near the Sea of Galilee. According to Matthew, Jesus made his home with them and he revealed the dawning of the light to them first. But who were these people that deserved such an honor? Matthew points out that they were the descendants of the people of Zebulun and Naphtali. Historically, these were two of the first tribes that were taken into captivity by the Assyrians seven centuries before. By the time of Jesus, we know there were devout Jews living in the area because there were synagogues there. But it's likely that most of the families from those ancient tribes had been assimilated into the Gentile culture and religion. And they may not even have known that they had any Jewish background in them at all. They were truly the lost tribes. After all, 700 years is a very long time. How many of you can say that you know your ancestors from about 1,300? (laughs) And we have the power of Google search, so some of us (laughs) can figure it out a little bit, maybe, but not so much. We definitely don't live in the same culture from 700 years ago. Isn't electricity beautiful? (laughs) We rely on it so much. And how do we know we could hold the same traditions and values and beliefs that our ancestors had? No idea. So I I can sympathize with the people of Galilee not having a clue who they are. But Matthew quotes the verses from Isaiah to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's ancient promises to the lost tribes of Israel. God is faithful. He has not forgotten who these people are, no matter how lost they have become. 
And God is bringing the dawn to them first. For Matthew, the story of Jesus is a continuation of the story of Israel. It's one of the overarching themes of Matthew, that Jesus is Jewish and that Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. This is how Matthew justifies Jesus' ministry beginning in a place that is largely Gentile, a place far away from Jerusalem, a place that was thought of kind of as a backwater of society, a place of marginalized people, kind of a frontier land. The people of Capernaum of Galilee, the lost children of Israel, are the first to hear Jesus proclaim the good news. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I think I've been a Christian too long. (laughs) When I hear that phrase... I hear, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? That's what I've heard too many times. What, did, what, did, what do you hear when you hear that phrase? Are you reminded of a faint recollection of praying a sinner's prayer sometime long ago? Maybe you thought of a street corner preacher with a sign, repent, the end is near. What came to mind for me was a scene from a movie called The Mission. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a little bit of an oldie. I'm dating myself. Um, But it's a movie that takes place in South America around 1750 when the Spanish were colonizing Paraguay. And Robert De Niro plays a mercenary and a slave trader who ends up uh, murdering his brother. Long story. Uh, Jeremy Irons plays a Jesuit priest who finds this slave trader in prison just languishing in his guilt because he knows what he's done. And he eventually convinces the slave trader to go up to the the Jesuit mission above the falls. And the slave trader finally agrees. But before he goes, he bundles up all his weapons and all his armor, ties them up in a, a big, big rope thing. There's just armor and weapons and everything just... It's a huge, it's almost as big as the, the slave trader himself. It's just a pack of arms that he's carrying around. And he ties the pack with a rope uh, to, around his waist so he can haul it. And he hauls this thing through the jungle. And he hauls it up the cliff face next to falls. This is a huge falls um, in South America. It's the famous one, the really tall one. So they're climbing up the cliff face on slippery rocks, and he's hauling this load of armaments behind him. And at some point, kind of halfway up the cliff, one of the Jesuit priests is just kind of fed up watching this struggle. And so he cuts the load loose. But the slave trader goes back down, all the way down the cliff, ties it back up again, and climbs up the cliff again. (sighs) Isn't that how we view repentance sometimes? (laughs) Is somehow we have to keep hauling along all the reminders of all the things we've done wrong, of all the guilt we've accumulated, of all the shame that just kind of piles up, and we go through life dragging this thing behind us. That's what I hear when I hear repent, is this dragging thing that happens, this 
heaviness, this burdensome way. And at least that's what happens when we get stuck in this part of repentance. I'm not saying it's not a good effort to kind of go through this sorrowful introspection and trying to figure out you know, what's going on with our lives. But if we just get stuck there, it just becomes this big, heavy load. And in the context of Matthew, I'd like to suggest that this is only part of what repentance means. There's a Jewish scholarly tradition um, that when a passage of scripture is quoted, it refers to the phrase, but it also refers to the whole thing kind of around what the phrase was saying. So that's why we read such a long passage out of Isaiah this morning. Matthew only quotes two verses, but he's referring to a much larger picture that's going on. So Matthew quotes the, two, the first two verses, the part about the light and the dark, but Matthew, pardon me, Isaiah 9.3 talks about people rejoicing as a harvest. It's when you're dividing up the plunder after a war. There's this kind of celebratory party going on because of verse 4 where it says, The yoke of their burden, the rod of their oppressor across their shoulders, has been broken. So when I hear Jesus proclaim, repent, I hear, turn towards joy, turn towards celebration, have a party, for your burden has been lifted. That heaviness, that guilt, that shame, that beating ourselves up for our past, it's been lifted. You don't have to carry it. We are free from our oppressor, in this case, ourselves. (laughs) And God's heavenly kingdom is finally real. So if we repent to the point of catching a glimpse of God and saying, wow, God is so holy, I have to look back because I can't go there. It's going to hurt too much. But if we would just turn fully around, fully repent and get to that place where we could just know that that sin is taken care of, that our burden is lifted. And as far as our Spanish slave trader goes, he finally reaches the top of the falls with his heavy burden trailing behind him. And he comes face to face with the indigenous tribe from whom he had previously been capturing slaves. And he falls down in front of a child And this child has a knife. The child probably knows who he is. And the child could kill him. And you see in the face of Robert De Niro that he knows that that's what he would deserve. But instead, this child takes the knife and cuts that rope. And this time, the slave trader lets it fall. Finally lets it fall. All that heaviness. And the slave trader just falls down weeping for joy. His burden was lifted. He was free. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is very good news. 
for a new day that dawned in the midst of the lost people of Israel. Those who had been living in the land of the shadow of death, in the backwater of Galilee, a new day dawned. But Jesus had bigger plans. He wasn't happy with just a little glimmer. Of course, it started there, the first dawn that began when he began to preach. But Jesus wanted a full-blown sunrise with the spectacular colors and just the beauty that comes with such a display. Something that everyone can see, not just this little spot of light somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. Last week, Pastor Ryan spoke from the perspective of John's gospel and how Andrew invited his brother Simon to come and see. And Jesus invited them to stay with him. And this is in keeping with the overarching theme of John, in which Jesus' authority is established on the testimony of eyewitnesses who heard what Jesus said, who saw what Jesus did. But as mentioned earlier, Matthew has a different purpose for establishing Jesus' authority for him means showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Further down in Isaiah 9 is the promise of the son that will be born, that all authority will rest on his shoulders, and that his authority will grow continually. So it's not surprising then from Matthew's perspective that Jesus called these first disciples with a command. Follow me. I am the one. I am that king spoken of long ago, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor. Authority is with me, and I command you, come, follow me. And the evidence of Jesus' authority was the immediate obedience of the disciples. I don't think this was blind obedience. I don't think this was the first time that Andrew, Peter, James, and John had met Jesus. They'd been around. They lived in Capernaum, too, around Galilee. They'd heard. They'd probably met him before. But I do think this is the first time that Jesus asked something of the people who had heard his message. He knew he wouldn't do his ministry work alone. He spoke his message to the people of Capernaum. And perhaps he was looking for that place when that little glimmer of light took root in some of the people he was talking to. Watching to see who might be interested enough to follow along with him. Watching who might be slowly having this heart change, this curiosity developing. And I don't think these four men knew what they signed up for when they dropped their nets and their boats and their dad and went and followed Jesus. <laughs> they didn't know what they were in for, but they were curious. They had seen this teacher. Have you ever had a te- one of those teachers that's like, man, you are so cool. I just want to be around you all the time. 
and I'm going to pay for this university course so I can be with you. <laughs> and I have to go through this whole acceptance process so that I can learn from you. But that's not what Jesus did here. Jesus, the teacher, went out and found the people that he thought held promise, people that he thought would be good for what he wanted to accomplish. And the disciples, when the command came, follow me, I don't think they heard a father telling his kid to eat your vegetables. Okay, Dad, I'll do it, whatever. (laughs) I think they heard their teacher say, come, follow me, come learn from me. And they were like, really? You want me to come and learn from you, to stay with you day and night, to go on tour with you, to be at all your speaking engagements? Sure, I'll carry your bags. I want to come and learn from you. So I think this... This obedience was a more joyful, adventurous obedience that Jesus was hoping for in his disciples. And when the disciples obeyed Jesus' command, Jesus' authority grew, and that light of dawn became brighter still. And Jesus took his disciples all over Galilee, proclaiming that good news and healing every disease. Everywhere Jesus went, his authority grew, and many in the land of darkness began to see that glimmer of light. And we have to skip ahead a little bit in the story. Jesus does bring the sunrise eventually through his death and resurrection. It's a beautiful thing. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, and it still feels a little on the dark side. Right? Have you watched the news? I don't listen to it very much, if I can possibly help it. (laughs) We are living out in the frontier land. We are living out in the middle of the darkness. Many of us have seen the light of Jesus. And sometimes that darkness comes and overshadows the light that we have found. Many of us have chosen to follow Jesus. And sometimes it becomes that, okay, I will if I have to. But it's not that joyful curiosity of what is this light? What is this kingdom about? The darkness can become oppressive. So how do we live? How do we live in the frontier land in the backwater of society, um, far away from Jerusalem. How do we live as little glimmers of light? And I'll, I'll let you off the hook. None of us are the sunrise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jesus is the sunrise. But he's bringing it through us. All over the world, there are people who believe in Jesus' authority, where this light is just glimmering on the surface that some people get to see, others miss it entirely. When we gather together like this, it shines a little brighter. And then we have to go out and we have to take that light with us where we go. So how do we go out there into that overwhelming darkness and glimmer?
we're all going to answer that question a little differently. Some of us will have to go back to that in place of introspection and figure out why we've lost that light. Find out why it's so hidden. Find out what's weighing it down. Find out what's overshadowing it. Some of us will just have to go as Jesus' command. He's out there already. We've got to go. Let's go. Follow me. We have work to do. Oh, you want me to show kindness to that person? Okay, I can do that. You want me to just put my hand on the shoulder of that person who's suffering? Okay, that I can do. How do we glimmer? It's the little ways, right? We're not the sunrise. We're not going out there. We're the light and we're the whole sunrise. We can go out there. We are the light. We are. I'm not saying that we're not. Most of us aren't quite there, <laughs> right? We have to start. We have to start. We have to become part of this growing sunrise, this growing um, authority of Jesus that's just moving and spreading and becoming brighter across the earth. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's follow Jesus. Let's be that light. Let's, let's be the coming of that dawn. Amen.